John 13:31 31-38. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thanks, Hannah, and welcome to all of you. Glad you've come to worship with us today. Uh, you may remember Doug mentioned baptism service. It's going to be four weeks from today. Every year I get a, a text from a gal, young woman who was baptized. She came to Christ, I think, her second year at K-State, and she was baptized here. And every year I get a text from her, and she says, this last one I got said, Pastor Steve, nine years ago today I was baptized. And her baptism was just a stake in the ground. And uh, it's a time where she went public with her faith and declared, I'm a follower of Christ. And so our encouragement to you, if you are a follower of Christ and you've never been baptized, uh, we would encourage you to consider being baptized four weeks from today. Uh, there's a process, and so we'd like for you to let us know, and we'll get you some information, have a conversation with you. But when you're baptized, you're not declaring, I've arrived, or I've got any level of maturity. You're basically declaring, it is my intention, by God's grace, to walk with Jesus the rest of my entire life and into eternity. And it is a powerful, a powerful moment in many people's walk with God. And so I encourage you to make that a matter of prayer and uh, get in touch with us. You can do that on the connection card or through the Church Center app and let us know. And uh, we would love for you to be baptized on that Sunday morning. <clears throat> well, last summer I officiated a, a wedding in Kansas City and uh, it was like 110 degrees, but uh, it was outside. And of course we had a rehearsal and a rehearsal dinner the night before. And after the dinner, as is often the case, we opened it up and said, if anybody, anybody wants to share thoughts or memories about the couple, uh, you're free to do that. And anytime you open up the floor like that, you're taking a risk. Most of the time, it's, you know, warm memories and, and thoughtful, encouraging thoughts about the couple. But sometimes people share all sorts of cringeworthy stories and inappropriate memories from high school or college. Well, anyway, when one of the groomsmen got up to speak, I wasn't quite sure where it was going to go, and uh, so I wish I had a video of it. I would absolutely show it to you this morning, but it was one of the most epic, one of the most memorable moments at a, a rehearsal I've ever been a part of. Now, I'll try to do justice to what he said, and so he basically said this. This is, this is Micah and McKenna's wedding. They gave me permission to. 
mention their name and talk about it. But basically, this guy, Jesse, he got up, and he was a pretty, I'll say, energetic guy. But he got up, and he looked at Micah, and he said, Micah, tomorrow you're going to be standing in front of this crowd, and you're going to be waiting for McKenna to walk down that aisle. And when those doors open up and she steps out, you're just going to be overwhelmed with emotion and love and affection for her. And you're just going to be filled with this, this overwhelming sense of her beauty. Long pause. Micah, you need to remember that that's exactly how Jesus Christ thinks about you. Whoa, why didn't you have this guy do your wedding? I was like, <laughs> I was like it was just perfect on so many levels. Why? Because as a church, we're called the bride of Christ. Husbands are told, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And so I think his point was, Micah, if you don't experience the fierce, unique love of Jesus, there's no way that you're going to be able to turn around and love your wife, McKenna, the way Christ loved the church. That was a moment, okay? Today, we're going to look at Jesus' command, love one another as I have loved you. And in the same way, there is no way that you and I are going to love one another the way we're supposed to unless we experience daily and ongoing basis the fierce, unique love for Jesus. But if we do experience that love, now we're in a position to, to live out this command. The love of Christ will fuel and inform the way we treat one another. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're in the midst of our 21 days of prayer and fasting, and we're talking about the three great love commands in the Bible. Love God, love one another, and love your neighbor as yourself. And all three of these commands are essential as disciples. None of these are icing on the cake. All of these are part of the cake. And there's a sense in which they all rise or fall together. And they're intertwined, right? Those that love God will naturally love one another. If you don't love God, Jesus, uh, John says, you really, and you don't love one another, you really don't love God because God is love. So we love God, we'll love one another, and if we love God and one another, we're uniquely poised, we're in a unique position to love our neighbors as ourselves. So today's passage is John 13, verses 34 and 35 that was read earlier. And this passage is found in a, a block of chapters in the Gospel of John that's known a couple different ways. It's called the Upper Room Discourse because that's where it took place. Jesus had gathered his disciples in the Upper Room to celebrate the Passover feast. It's also called the Farewell Discourse because it was the night before Jesus was crucified. And so he was saying farewell. He was saying goodbye to his disciples. Uh, he was going to leave them and go back to the Father. And as always, the context is important. We read earlier in chapter 13 that after the meal, Jesus got up, he took a robe, he took a towel, wrapped it around his waist, and he washed the disciples' feet. And then he told him, I have given you an example that you should do as I did. You should wash one another's feet. In other words, he's saying you should serve one another. Why? Because he says a servant is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. And so Jesus was the master, they were the servants, he was the one sending them, and they were sent. And so they were going to be sent with a message, and, and ultimately this message would be the gospel. And so as we'll see, a core reason that they needed to love one another the way Jesus loved them is because that's how they could embody the message 
of the gospel. And so this wasn't a message you write on a note, hand to somebody and say, good luck. No, this is a message they were supposed to speak and they were supposed to demonstrate with their lives. And so loving one another was an essential part of that, communicating the gospel. The other significant point of context is that Judas had left. He left with clean feet, by the way, but, but he left to go betray Jesus, and Jesus knew that. And we're also told that at some point right after the meal that Satan had entered into Judas, and Jesus knew that too. And because of that, Jesus knew that his crucifixion was a done deal. It was going to happen. And so Jesus was preparing his disciples to live without him physically present. Now what we're going to see is that loving one another was a, was a core way that he would prepare them. By loving one another, they would have, have a fresh experience of Jesus' love day by day by day. And so this commandment we're going to look at is at the heart of that preparation. And so let's look first at John 13, 34, Jesus' man command to love one another as he has loved us. You may have noticed that Jesus calls this a new commandment. Water. Jesus said this, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. So we find in the Old, Old Testament commands to love, love one another, love our neighbors. And so what was new about this commandment? Well, this was a new commandment because Jesus set his love as the standard for our love. Nobody had ever loved, nobody ever loved the way Jesus loved because nobody could love the way Jesus loved. Uh, Jesus Jesus. Uh, because of who he was and where he had come from, he loved in a unique way. And so Jesus alone was the sinless son of God who dwelt in unimaginable glory from eternity past. And he took that infinite journey. He laid aside his heavenly prerogatives. He took on flesh and blood and became one of us. And while he was one of us, he loved them perfectly. And so he loved them in all sorts of ways. We saw earlier in John 13, he loved them by serving them. He also loved them by teaching them. He loved them by praying for them. He loved them by correcting them when they needed it. And he loved them simply by being with them. And so their experience of him was as a friend and as a teacher who was gentle and humble in heart. They experienced him as the good shepherd. And so in every conceivable way, Jesus was morally and intellectually and spiritually superior to them, and yet at every turn, he put their interests above his own, okay? And so Jesus could not have loved them more perfectly than he did. He never thought or said or did a selfish thing. He always put them first. But that was only the beginning. Jesus' greatest expression of his love for his disciples was yet to come. And we'll come back to chapter 13, but turn over with me if you have a Bible to John 15. And there Jesus restates this new commandment, word for word. And he further explains his love for his disciples. Therefore, he's further explaining how we should love one another. Over in John 15, 12, we read this. This is my commandment that you love one another 
as I have loved you. That's the new commandment. And then he says this, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Laying down his life. Does that sound familiar? We read that at the end of John 13, right? Peter is the one that told Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus said, actually, no, Peter, before tomorrow morning, you're going to deny me three times. And so it's no coincidence that we read a chapter and a half later that the greatest expression of love, which is love is already the greatest of these, but the greatest expression of love is that someone would lay down their life for their friends. And so Peter wanted to lay down his life for his friends, for Jesus. He wanted to to die for Jesus, but he didn't have the internal spiritual moral strength to do so. At the, at the moment, actually, it's, it's so ironic. Somebody asked him, are you his, you were his disciple, right? And this is his chance to prove I'm his disciple. I'm going to love him by laying down my life. And Peter said, no, I don't know him. So Peter did what I would have done. And so that was Peter's intention. But Jesus is the one who actually, by contrast, would lay down his life for Peter and for you and for me. And so that's how he commands us to love one another, by laying down our lives for one another. At every turn, not saying, I'm going to put my interests first. But no, because you're my brother, you're my sister in Christ. I'm going to lay down my life, my rights, my prerogatives for you. And John said this in 1 John 3.16. He said, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the, for the brothers. So again, this underscores that if we don't understand and experience the love of Christ, there's no way that we're going to lay down our lives for one another. That's not how we'll treat each other. We'll treat each other according to what we think you deserve. This is what you deserve, so that's how I'm going to treat you. Or we'll treat each other based on how I feel. Well, I've had a bad day. I've had a rough week, so I'm not going to, I'm not going to treat you with love. I'm not going to put your interest first. This is a radically different way of living. We have to have this supernatural power if we're going to live in this way. If you want an example of someone who allowed Christ's love to shape the way he treated others, look at the Apostle Paul. In 2 Corinthians 5.14, Paul wrote, he said, the love of Christ controls us. And so the love that Christ had for him, that was the controlling influence in his life. That's why he laid down his life for so many people. And all of this implies that if you want to love other believers well, one of the most practical things that you can do is experience this unique, fierce love of Jesus day by day by day. And we experience it directly from him. That's, that's first and foremost. But we also experience it from one another, right? But, but Jesus actually told his disciples, they're still in, in John 15 in verse 9, He said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. So do you see the pattern there? The Father loved Jesus, the Son. Jesus turned around and loved the disciples with that same love. And so the command is you need to remain in that love. You need need to, to experience that day by day by day. And there's a sense in which God's love is constant. I mean, it doesn't change. God never has a bad day. He doesn't have these, these ups and downs and emotional swings. No, his love is constant, but we experience it only 
as we abide in that love. Read Jude 21 sometime. It says, keep yourselves in the love of God, which is synonymous with the love of Jesus. And so my question for you at, at this point is, present tense, day in and day out, how deeply are you experiencing the love of Jesus? How, how deeply are you experiencing it? How often are you experiencing it? Are you st still looking back to some experience you had four years ago or 20 years ago? That's when I experienced the love of Jesus. Or is it a fresh thing that you, you, you experience day by day? And then the follow-up question is, how well are you turning around and loving your family, your brothers and sisters in Christ with that same sacrificial, selfless love? Is that the pattern of your life? You know, the reason why we're doing it, we're, we're talking about the love of, of God, loving God, loving one another, loving our neighbors during this 21 days is because we don't want to just hear a sermon about it and then next week something else. We're taking a whole week. This week, the meditations, the readings that we're, we're giving to you, you can still sign up for those. You'll get an email. The, all of these, these scriptures and meditations are going to help us understand the true condition of our heart. If we allow it to, these scriptures will open it up and they'll say, no, actually you're experiencing very little of the love of Jesus. Or actually they'll say, no, actually, yeah, you're, you are abiding in Jesus' love and that's why you love others so well. Or maybe the scriptures will show you you know, actually there's some bitterness, there's some anger that is deeply lodged in your heart and it is absolutely stopping you from loving others the way that you're supposed to. And so God might show you, he said, you know, if you experience my love, you're, you're going to realize you really don't need to hold grudges anymore. You don't really need to have that bitterness toward others anymore. It doesn't have a, a valid function in your life and in your relationships anymore. And so once you allow the love of Christ to melt away your bitterness and your anger, now you're poised to love others more fully. And I know you know this, but I'll just, just remind you, the goal isn't to learn a few techniques that you can pull out and kind of sporadically love people. No, the goal is to actually be a loving person where the love of Christ has such a deep, deep place in your heart that it just flows. Not that it's always easy, but it's instinctual. You just naturally say, because Jesus has loved me, of course I'm going to love you. You want to be, you want to be forgiven? Absolutely. Jesus has forgiven me infinitely more than you're asking me to forgive. And so it becomes an intuitive, natural thing. And when we love this way, other people experience a fresh, have a fresh experience of Jesus' love. And it helps them in turn love others well. So it, it feeds and it fuels one another's love. So that's the command. Let's look back at, at John 13, 35 and see what's at stake in a more broad way, whether or not we love each other as Jesus loved us. We're, we see in verse 35, Jesus is talking about embodying the gospel by our love for one another. Notice how Jesus says the distinguishing mark of true disciples is this love for one another. Verse 35, Jesus says, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 
And so Jesus tells his disciples that their love for one another will confirm for anybody who's watching that you are actually my disciples. And understand that, that a disciple is not merely a title. It's not merely a designation. If you're a disciple, that means that you're actually apprenticed to Jesus and you are actively learning from him how to live your life the way he wants you to. Back in chapter 9, Jesus said, uh, Jesus said, if you abide in my word, you are truly, or chapter 8, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And so a disciple is not merely somebody who goes to church. Hopefully church is part of your discipleship. But a disciple is someone who allows, who, whose mind and heart are, is marinated with God's truth. You soak it in so that you think his thoughts, you have his desires, you have his motives in your life. And so that being the case, it makes sense that the way people will know that we're Jesus' disciples is if we have learned from him how to love the way he loves. And the way he loved his disciples wasn't incidental to his mission. Now, Jesus embodied the gospel, not just with words, but the way he treated them. He loved them to the end. And so the point is that we're supposed to embody the gospel, not just with our words, but by the way that we love one another. And so why does it matter whether or not people know that we're his disciples? Why does that matter? Why is it not enough just that we do a lot of good for a lot of people? Why do people have to actually need to come to the conclusion, those people, that friend group, the, 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 that, that circle of people I'm seeing, they're actually apprenticed to Jesus. Why is that important? Well, because our mission is to make disciples among every group of people on the planet. And so you can do a lot of good for a lot of people and never engage the mission of the church, okay? Not really do the ultimate thing that Jesus is about. He's about reclaiming the nations for himself and for his glory. And so uh, we'll talk about this more next week, but being disciples involves and making disciples involves not only doing good works, that's a huge part of it, but it also involves speaking the gospel. And so Jesus doesn't make this exact point, but he's implying here that if people conclude that we are disciples of Jesus and they see our love for one another, that some at least will be drawn to that. And that was one of the things that people noticed about the early church. My, how they loved one another. This is the distinguishing mark of a disciple. And so the gospel obviously has content. We have to get the message right, but, but like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, we can have all the knowledge, all the gifts in the world, but if we don't have love, we're nothing. We're not valuable in the kingdom. And so as I mentioned earlier, these three great love commands, love God, love one another, and love our neighbors, they're all intertwined. If we love God, we'll love one another, and if we love one another, we'll embody the gospel for our neighbors. And as a church that seeks to become disciples and make disciples, uh, the stakes could not be higher whether or not we embody the gospel. And so let me suggest just a couple of applications from what we've seen in, in John 13, 34, and 35. And these are applications for believers. 
And so we are glad that some of you are here today that are not yet followers of Christ. Uh, we so love that you're in our midst and that you join us. Uh, but I'll just warn you, this is a little bit of an insider conversation or in-house conversation that we need to have. I have no idea how this will strike you, uh, but this is, this is just an honest conversation as followers of Christ. The first, first application is this. Identify a few other believers, specific believers, that you intend to love the way we've talked about this morning. I'm talking about actual people with actual faces and actual names. Can you identify people and you say, yeah, I'm going to love those people. By God's grace, I'm going to love those people this way. And so Dallas Willard in his life, in his book, Life Without Lack, he warns against having kind of this broad, vague commitment to loving one another. And he points out correctly, I think, that you don't and you actually can't love everybody. You have to love somebody, <laughs> specific people. And so I'm encouraging you to identify who are those specific people. And so it might be a friend group. You may, might have a, a group of two or three Christian friends. And I'm encouraging you to start with people that you actually like, maybe. And we, we can go on to loving your enemy or other Christians that you really find so disagreeable you can barely stand. But get good at loving the people that you already like, and then we broaden it out from there. Or maybe the people in your, in your Bible study or in your life group, if you're part of a campus group, uh, maybe those are the, the, the people you're around. When I was at LSU, I had these three guys. I was, I was a couple years older than them. We, we, uh, we hung around for three years, and after, right before I graduated, we snuck in the, uh, it was the track stadium. They didn't have the, the uh, uh, chain on, the, on the, the fence tight enough. And we, what, what Pastor Steve does, I'm not saying you should do this, but we <laughs> snuck in there and we went up there one night. We, we just poured out our hearts to each other. There were tears. We washed each other's feet, which, again, is one of the weirdest things you can possibly do. But we, we, we just we loved each other well. And a lot of us, we learned to love in those days. And so we have to find people that we love. And so find those people and, and just be bold and be creative. What would it look like for us to love each other the way Christ has loved us? See where it takes you. Now, if you don't have those people, that's a challenge, and your heart may be aching right now. One of the reasons we have groups of faith is so you can develop those relationships. We don't assign friendships. Hey, you be a friend with you. You, you have to discover friendships. God gives you these friendships in the body of Christ. I'd encourage you, the place to start is with Rooted. Uh, we're starting Rooted on Thursday night, so you need to sign up, but it's a ready-made opportunity to develop friendships and learn to love other people. We have also have other groups. And I realize this is a risk, but it is a risk worth taking because you need other people in the body of Christ. Others in the body of Christ need you, okay? So identify a few other believers to love. And second, find ways to live an appropriately transparent life so that others can actually see your love for one another, Okay? Some cultures are better at this than America. We tend to be very individualistic, and, and our, our walks with God is so isolated from all the rest of our lives. I think in some cultures, people just live their lives more freely, and people see how they love and, and, and who they love in these ways. And so there's a tension here because we're not supposed to trumpet our righteousness. We're not showing off. 
But if you do actually embody the gospel by the way you love a few other people, just talk about, think about, pray. What are some ways that we can invite people into our lives so that, that they can see this love and conclude, those are disciples of Jesus. Maybe I should become a disciple of Jesus. Over 50 years ago, Francis Schaeffer wrote this little book. He called it The Mark of a Christian. And he, he made a series of observations. He said, Jesus did not say, they will know you are my disciples by your haircuts. Or they won't know you're my disciples by the jewelry that you wear around your neck. He said, they'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another. Never was that truer than in our day. People have to see us loving one another. Oh, listen again to Jesus' words. We'll close with this. A new commandment I give you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would give us this desire, give us this ability, give us the relationships that we need to love one another the way Jesus has loved us. We pray that day by day we would come to you and we would remain in your love and remain in Jesus' love. We allow the Holy Spirit to magnify Jesus and show us how well, how fully he has loved us and give us these opportunities and the will to, uh, to love one another in these ways. God, we have a, just so few years on this earth. We want to make them count for eternity. And so give us this, this experience that all might know that you are worthy of our worship. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.